Hello and welcome to the Made of People podcast. I'm Andy Kroll. This first season is brought to your ears as part of 2020's Alt Brighton Ruby. Thanks to Cookpad and Free Agent for their invaluable support and sponsorship through a weird year for me and the conference. In this podcast, I'm talking to speakers from this year's online event around the topic of their talk. The video of each talk will be linked from the show notes. Although if you haven't watched the talks, this will probably still make sense as a conversation between two humans in a weird time. Cookpad love Brighton Ruby and are supporting again for the fifth year running. They run the world's largest recipe community with over 100 million average monthly users, all on their Ruby platform. Learn more about them at cookpadteam.com. In this episode, I talk with Eileen Uchatel from the Rails core team about her Rails keynote, where she explains the journey extracting multiple database support out of GitHub, which was then one of the major features of Rails 6, although there's a bit more to it than that. The free agent team are a friendly bunch with a single goal, making small businesses happier and more successful by putting them in control of their finances with award-winning accounting software. Keep an eye on freeagent.com forward slash careers for upcoming roles. Hello, Eileen. <laughs> Hi, Andy. How and all of Bright and Ruby, who I don't get to see in real life. No, they're all there, I promise. Thank you very much for your talk. It was great. It's a shame not to see it in person and yeah. then drag, drag you to karaoke afterwards. So first of all, I wanted to get some background into the work that you've been doing at GitHub in general, as well as the work you specifically talked about in your talk. I know from conversations we've had in the past that when you arrived, GitHub was on a uh, fork of 3.2. And then it was even using a fork of Rescue, which of course was GitHub's queuing system that was open sourced from GitHub. So tell me your pain. <laughs> Try not to cry. <laughs> uh, so when I first started at GitHub three and a half years ago, we were on a fork of Rails and it was kind of worse because some stuff had been added on top and then other stuff had just been monkey patched into the app. So you didn't even know where things were going to throw up in your face so that was fun dragging the app to the newest version of rails and there was one point i remember banning any changes to the fork and there were people like but i have stuff i want to add in i was like add it upstream in rails it's not coming in you can write your own monkey patches but you are not making changes to this fork because if we made changes to the fork for something that was only in 5.2 then you can't get off the fork until 5.2 and then you can keep doing that over and over again and so i think when we got to 4.2 i banned any backwards to the fork even bug fixes that wasn't loved by all, but that's how we got off the fork. And now we run off of the stable branch of 6.0. And we have a second build that runs against master. But we don't deploy that to production yet. Which is good news for all of us. Rails uh, is really stable. This is when true. you want the person upgrading Rails to be the same person building Rails, and then like you know that it just works my way. I absolutely do. I mean, you know, I, I've done my fair share of three to four to five upgrades, but not GitHub. That's a serious undertaking. And of course, one of the benefits of all of that work is being able to take features from GitHub and port them into Rails because you're on the latest Rails and you're not using weird stuff. Did you have previous experience of various database strategies before GitHub? Yeah. So the scale of the database, because Basecamp, they're like, oh, let's just build a new app every three years it's kind of like they're doing cross-cluster scaling does <laughs> it have entirely <laughs> different machines <laughs> yeah but like i don't know it's almost like sharding your app and your database at the same time so it's not really that kind of experience i think there's like some stuff in one of the authentication gems because like that's how everything scales 
if you've ever used Basecamp, you know, like you go to Launchpad and you can get to Basecamp 3 or Basecamp Classic or Campfire and all of those. That particular authentication did have at least one replica. I might be wrong about that. So I didn't really have like a ton of database experience. I mean, other than like Active Record is my favorite gem. And I, it gets like a bad rap, but it, it's the, one of the easiest gems to test in Rails. Go try to test something in Rail ties and then tell me you hate Active Record. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Rail ties just swallows all the output. So you can't see what's happening. You have to know how to go into the test and put a P in front of the output to like puts it. And so you're like, oh, okay, now I can see it. But it hides all of it because it's actually creating apps in the temp directory, running stuff in those apps and then asserting on those things that are run. So I, that's why I prefer Act. That's not the only reason, but it's one reason I prefer Active Record. But I had enough Active Record database experience at that point that I knew how connection management worked. And then I spent a while with the code in GitHub before actually upstreaming it. And what we upstreamed is not how it looked in GitHub. I rewrote a lot of it and the API is totally different. At least method names are different. It used to be like established connection to primary or something. I don't know. It was not super elegant when you're building an API for all apps, you don't want to use database names mm. in your methods or you don't want to conflate concepts. And so it, it wasn't doing the primary replica. It was default read only. And so a lot of that had to change. Mm. So in the process of adding APIs to rails, I would change the APIs in GitHub at the same time. When I added the connected to method, I replaced our monkey patch out of that into rails with that method name and then replaced all the use in GitHub. So we didn't like do one big refactoring at the end. It's kind of like turning lots of different knobs slowly. Mm. So it's like, okay, I change Rails, now change GitHub, now change all these methods. Okay, now do it again and go through each of the APIs slowly and fix them so that that way when we were on Rails 6.0, we just deleted all the monkey patches. And I would love to say that it just worked. It did not. But... <laughs> The other thing is I added some APIs and I was like, oh, this will make it easier for GitHub. And then it actually ended up making it harder because we do some different stuff with our connections on boot. I don't know how to explain it. Like, can sometimes yeah. it's the communication aspect of changing APIs is really hard. Yeah. It's harder internally than it is externally. No one does internal deprecations. Although I've actually started doing that where I will deprecate code the same way I do in Rails so that mm. I don't have to write a team post and hope everybody saw it. It's not their fault. You get like 500 emails and you're going to miss the one that Eileen told you that she changed the name of a thingy and that you only need to know about once every three months when you're adding a new database or only adding a new connection or something. Mm. So I didn't want to change those because it was such a minor implementation detail that I didn't think that it was worth retraining everyone. But then it turned out that we just had to because I never really figured out what was happening, but it wouldn't switch the handler names for us. Actually, I should delete that feature from Rails because it's unnecessary. It's like a feature I added for GitHub that we don't use. So it was for backwards compatibility for apps that had already rolled their own. So I thought maybe other apps might use it. Uh, I think that we should just delete it because it's doesn't it didn't work the way I thought it was going to. <laughs> I like I assume it works in other apps, but now I have no idea. So in that way, GitHub had a relatively generic-ish approach to multi-database stuff that was generic enough, apart from obviously these edge cases that you're bound to see in any sort of major refactor. It's a good place to extract the functionality from. Yeah, I mean, maybe we don't think that GitHub's way is 100% right, but we know it works in production. So I would rather take something that I know works in production and then slowly replace that rather than build some brand new thing that hopefully is just like amazing and has all the edge cases solved. And then you just find out that you didn't solve anything. 
and now you have a mess. <laughs> it allowed us to not change connection pool code in 6.0. It's got to change though. I think we're going to redo some of it for 7. <laughs> 7 sounds like a really big number. It's just it's well, a real 7. That's how, that sounds big. We're on 6. 6 one's about to come out. Uh, and then 6.2, and we all know if you look at the history of Rails, you go, oh, one, two, and then you make a new version. Yeah. We haven't had a three, two, like a point three since Rails 2. It was like Rails yeah, 2.0, 2.1, and then it's always been oh, one, two after that. I mean, I don't know if there's a reason, so I just assume that 7 comes after 6.2. <laughs> <laughs> <Fair enough. laughs> In your experience, of, are there things that people should definitely think about before moving to multiple databases? Uh, you have to think about a lot more. So are there things that people should be doing before they take that leap? Yeah. So one thing that Rails doesn't do, and I don't know will ever do, is load balancing uh, on your replicas. Uh, we have it at GitHub, we have hundreds of replicas and the connection configuration in the app, in the, like, the Rails configurations for the database are how to talk to a single one. All of them can be talked to that way. So once we say use the reading connection, we stop using Rails at that point, and it's a global load balancer layer with this the, the database team wrote some stuff. Once you leave the Rails app, I have no idea what happens. Like replicas, like come up and go away, and there's lag. I, th I think we can just say the word DevOps and presume. Yeah, yeah. Database infrastructure or DBA, like what? Yeah. So. Stuff that like I don't really think Rails should take on because it's so based on your infrastructure that like I don't know. Mm. Yeah, so, like, yeah, you're getting very specific requirements based on your traffic patterns at that point, right? Yeah. Before you add multiple databases, like make sure that you actually need it. Don't start an app with multiple databases. You're not going to get the strategy right, and like. We use, I just called it functional partitioning the way we do it at GitHub because like there is vertical sharding versus horizontal sharding and the definition of vertical sharding didn't match what we do. So I chose not to name it that because I didn't want to have some internet troll be like, well, actually like you don't know what you're talking about. And so one of the things that I feel we could have done better is to isolate the databases actually by function rather than saying what's the hottest table, put it somewhere else. And that hasn't like really been a problem per se. It's just that once you do that, you can't join across clusters. And so your user's table can't talk to your commits table. If they're in different clusters, you have to create two queries, which for Rails 6.1 or not 6.1, because that's almost should have shipped already. Uh, Rails 6.2, we have a gem at GitHub that actually splits the queries um, that we're gonna put into Rails uh, so that you don't have to write two separate queries You'd have to do your select from database one and then do a select from database two. We're going to do that. Rails is going to do that for you eventually, but we're not quite there yet because we're still testing to make sure that we can catch all the edge cases for that. Also, you lose performance when you do that. So you can't just be like, ah, multiple databases shard everything because you might actually end up with a worse situation, potentially, uh, if you're not doing some math or whatever to see what should be where. The other thing that Rails doesn't do is with the replicas, we're not going to replicate data for you, like copy between the other ones. That's mm -hmm. your database's job. And there's different tools for that. 
And then just thinking about why you actually need multiple databases. Is it because you have a slow query? Just make that query faster. Like don't mess with the database thing. And the last thing that's really hard, taking a database and sharding it or breaking it into two for functional partitioning and that data already exists, you have to get it out of that first database and put in the other one. That's a lot of strain as well, right? There's some surface area for mistakes there as well, I'm sure. That actually could be something that I could see Rails building eventually, some sort of like data copier thing. But you're dealing with a lot of stuff, like how hot are the rights on that table? How are you going to copy the rights to the new table? Uh, are you going to do like writes and reads from both until you do a cutover? There's like a lot of moving parts with that. It's not like adding multiple databases means that like, oh, Rails just solved all your database scaling needs. Like, YOLO, like just, just put the multiple database gem in and everything just works. Like it's not like that. It's, it's an advanced feature because it's for advanced apps. You're not going to need it for a hobby app or for a brand new app. Oh, I mean, I guess you could have a hobby app that like just gets Justin Bieber interested and then, <laughs> <laughs> and then like everyone, apparently like not everyone like remembers this stories. Because I used this joke in like uh, my keynote two years ago at RailsConf, and uh, people didn't get it. So like Justin Bieber took down Twitter because like he started using it, and then like everyone was like, "Oh my god, Justin Bieber!" And he like crashed Twitter when they were still a Rails app, yeah, because he started using it. So that's why <laughs> if you have a hobby app and Justin Bieber gets a hold of it, like that, then you should use multiple databases. <laughs> Maybe the last thing you're reaching for at that time. Yeah. <laughs> the other thing I thought was really interesting about your talk is it's sort of like a two and a half year version of make the change easy and then that might be difficult and then make the easy change sort of like the Kent Beck yeah. Twitter pithy one-liner. Were you approaching it that way in the beginning? Was it that you thought I want this to do multiple databases and so I'm going to start making these changes knowing where the mountain is and I'll walk generally in the direction of the mountain? Is that the approach that you took? prefer to take like the naive approach where I'm like, here's the end goal. I've got no idea how to get there. And I'll just like take off like whatever is the thing right in front of me. So that's why, and I didn't talk about this a whole lot in this talk because I talked about it two years ago. And so if you actually want to piece together like the three years of work that I've been doing, just watch my last three talks <laughs> from 2018 to 2020. And then you've got like my life story about rail stuff. The first thing I did was like spend a lot of time in like the GitHub code and I was like, okay, I know how this works. And then I tried to make a new app because GitHub had written a lot of code. We were still on Rails 4, 2, I think when I started doing upstream stuff. And so we weren't going to be able to use it yet anyway. So I was like, okay, well, it's possible that Rails has some of this that we need. And I don't know what Rails has because I wasn't involved in some of the stuff that had been added and it wasn't clear what projects were started, but not finished. And like, it wasn't clear where stuff stood. So I made a new app to be like, what's broken? Like, let's just start with a configuration that adds a second database. And it was not good. At first I didn't realize that we had a three tier configuration, but then when I tried to use it, the app just didn't boot. And so Rails has an established connection method in the rail tie. And so like that just says, eh, give me whatever configuration you have for the current environment. And so when you have a three-tier configuration, like which one does it pick? Hmm. There was nothing in Rails to say you want one or two 
the first one or the second one, what Rails had no idea. It was just like, give me development. And so it would like blow up in your face because it was like, I got two and I don't know what to do with it. And you can't just connect to all of them because oh, now we're going to get like really into like what's wrong with connection management. Preview the 2021 talk. Yeah, well, yeah, <laughs> yes, because then we're going to fix it. When you establish a connection, it's established. It's like looked up by the class name. And so you can't have more than one active record based connection that is actually different configurations and actually belong to different connections. And so Rails, when it's booting, especially in development and test mode, because you're not eager loading the app, it has no idea what other connections you have. So you can't just connect to all of them. I mean, you could, but that would require us to eager load the app. And then that makes things slow. And then people don't like that. So. I don't know. I like part of me wants to just be like, look, if you're using multiple databases, you go load your app always. But I don't get to win those arguments. I, I don't want to answer the 500 issues that will be opened on Rails when I That's do that. Yeah. So we'll figure out a different way to fix it. Because of that, nothing booted. So first it was like trying to fix that. And after like a while of like trying to negotiate code with hashes, that's how we ended up with the database configuration objects. And then I couldn't make databases because the rake tasks didn't work. So I made the rake tasks work, which turned into its like own whole rabbit hole that I never expected. There's a lot of commits on that line on the slides as well. Yeah. The number of bugs that I created in that area were pretty high and it was because it was just not tested. So the URL configurations exist because Heroku needs them and like some other, I think, I don't know, what do you, I don't know what to call Heroku, like a... Platform as a service. Anyone else that maybe is doing platform as a service deployments might be using URL configs, but it, they weren't as well tested. I probably could do an entire talk about how URL configs work because it does this like munging thing where like in some cases values get dropped and in other cases they get replaced. And in other cases, if they're not valid, it gets replaced. And then like, if you just say Postgres, it's like, oh, I know how to turn that into a URL. And you're like, but how? Uh <laughs> So that was where like a lot of the bugs were in the database configurations. And then all the bugs in like the rake tests had to do with the, the I, I don't, people are doing weird stuff with their database YAML. Like <laughs> really funky things that I didn't even know was valid YAML. And I didn't know it was valid ERB. And so it's like when you take ERB and YAML and you just like do things, it just gets really messy. And then the problem was that Rails, of course, because we talked about boot, like before you boot, you don't have all the stuff. Yeah. And so if you put environment variables, which I don't recommend this, please don't put environment variables from your config environments files in your database YAML. It is a bad idea. It means that when you look at your database YAML for development, your dev values are all going to be in your production section. Like... It's it's actually something we should just ban it from Rails, but we can't right we can't yet. But well, don't seven. do it. If you just like <laughs> stop doing it, then I don't then I can stop doing the, the dummy ERB. So we like had to parse the ERB and just replace any ERB with empty strings mm. so that we could get the names of the configurations out of the YAML so that we could make the tasks named. Because yeah. we can't load the YAML with the ERB if the the environment yeah. isn't loaded, but we can't load the environment early because then the rate tasks are too slow. <laughs> this is like one of those things you you, you just I'll, I'll just pull this this one little thread and then yeah, 
Yeah, and if anybody doesn't like the dummy ERB, you can blame Aaron. That was his idea. (laughs) If there's something we need to take away from this chat, just blame Aaron Patterson. That's basically that. That's what we should should all be learning. Yeah. So equally technical, I've got a question from one of the inverted commas attendees who is asking about how you handle session data at GitHub when DBs are blocked on head and get requests. So how how broadly speaking, without giving away any you know production level secrets, how, how is GitHub managing the multi database and session based stuff? What is in Rails is not exactly what we have. Ours is like pretty customized. But one of the reasons I built the Rails version that way is so that we could eventually use the plug and play that I created in the middleware, so that we could actually do it the way that Rails recommends right now. We just don't use Rails middleware. So the thing with the middleware is it's read your own write. So if there is replica lag and you write, you'll see it, but other people won't until it's been spread to the other databases. But replica lag is usually like milliseconds. It's really fast. So we just don't, we don't like, you almost never would see it unless there's a database issue. We have a lot of logic. It's not just like five seconds later, we send you to the replica. The default in Rails is two seconds. Our like hard cut over if everything fails to meet the checks is five seconds, I think, but we never get to that code. It actually might've been deleted. I don't deal with that part that much. We use, we also use GTID tracking. So that's a little bit more advanced and something that I'd like to put in Rails also, but hmm. my list of things I'd like to put in Rails are so long. Priorities. We, we don't block the database on the get. So if you need to do a write in the middle of a get, which you should avoid, like do it later. But if you have to, it wouldn't get blocked. You would just wrap that call in a writing block in like a connected to role writing. So we don't just like reject writes. If you did a post, like if a get caused a post, did that happen? I don't know. Hopefully not. (laughs) If you get the new page and then you do post, those are going to be separate requests. So you're going to go to the writing for the post. The code that we have that chooses the database has like a circuit breaker pattern in it where it'll be like, yes, okay, whatever, next, okay. And like the last point is, like I said, five seconds, we'll just send you to the replica. We just assume that if you have, if you have replica lag over five seconds, like we got to send you to the replicas anyway, because we're going to take down the primary if we keep everyone there. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's like occasionally that happens, but it's super rare. Uh and hopefully is rare on your stuff. But I feel like, yeah, I don't really like totally get the question actually. Cause like, I don't know what blocking on the reads mean. Cause I mean, I guess maybe they just mean like, if you're doing a get, like how do you do it right? Hmm. And you just do it manually. Okay, cool. I'm, I'm well above my pay grade anyway. So <laughs> I mean, I can, I can say that I know we write in our gets, but like my, Ideal world would be like, don't write in your gets, like just do a post. (laughs) (laughs) You talk a little bit towards the end of your talk, the Trojan horse of the talk about your life contributing to this framework and this community. I actually don't know the story of how you ended up contributing to Rails. It it felt to me as someone who'd been a long time user of Rails that suddenly Eileen appeared and was writing all the things. <laughs> you know, it's possible I wasn't paying attention. How did you get involved in Rails contribution? So let's see. It was, I think, 2014. I gave a talk. It was my like first talk at Mountain West Ruby uh, about Active Record 
and it was about how like what did I call it? I think it was like it's not you, like Active Records not. I don't know. It wasn't. I was like whole point of it was that like it was not Active Records' fault. It's you for not like paying attention to your queries. And so I was like demonstrating all the ways in like a create, read, update, and delete that you could take your database down and ways to avoid that. And it came out of two things that happened when I was working at FishMe at the time. And one was that I was trying to build demo data that you run it on a server and it would fill up the demo data for the sales team. They wanted so much data that I like took the staging database down. And so I ended up using like a batch loading. In my talk, I use an example of a CSV, which of course, cause like the internet people like, like, why are you using a CSV and not this other thing? And I was like, it's just an example. Like, whatever it's fine i didn't even use the csv in the code that i wrote at work i don't think i don't remember but it was just like get off the details like this point is that you can take your database down with a create here's a way to not take it down and there was another one that like there was a change in rails actually and this is how i ended up contributing was that i actually found a bug and i didn't realize it was a bug and so someone had changed the delete all code so that it ended up being less performant and so you could I don't think it was so severe you could take your database down, but like if you had 100,000 records you were trying to delete it once, it could. And if I remember correctly, instead of doing like one in where it was like delete, just delete all in one, two, three, four, it was like delete all in one, in two, in three, and in four, and in five. So like it was try, it was like creating multiple in statements. I think that's what happened. I'd have to like look back at so long ago, but it was something like that where the the SQL statement had changed. And so that caused a bug and Aaron Patterson was speaking at Mountain West and I hadn't met him before, but I was like, I think I found a bug in Rails. And in like classic Aaron fashion during the Q&A, he was like, well, why don't they fix it? (laughs) And I was like, I don't know. Why don't they fix it? And so we ended up pairing on it to fix the bug. We fixed that bug and then another bug and then another bug. And it's funny because like, actually like, I think Aaron and I have been pairing every week for six years now, <laughs> like one, like one hour a week. And it's like, wow, it's, it's a long time. Like, yeah. It's a long time. <laughs> and so like each thing, it was just like, Oh, like what's a new thing we want to work on. And so we just like mm. some like really gnarly refactorings in active record and some other action pack stuff. Oh, we like worked on it, making integration tests, like not slow as, mm. That's, they were still slow, uh, and they're like a lot faster now. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and, it, and as you said, this is a, it, your work on this is kind of like a love letter to the community. So, do you know what the pull is for you? Is it the endless problems that there's bound to be in any large human endeavor, or what? What specifically <laughs> keeps you doing it? Well, I, I definitely don't like bug reports, but I, I think it's like the impact that it has. When you do something in open source, you don't just do something for a single company, you do something for everyone. And I think that like, especially for certain scaling stuff, everyone should be able to start at the same level. Your product should be what separates you, not whether or not your database goes down. I mean, your database shouldn't go down. And so I want Rails to help with that. I, and I don't know, I didn't really know why I first started contributing. I think I was just like, this is more interesting to me than product work. And I like think that product work is great. Like people love it. There are people who are really good at it. I don't think that I'm not good at it. It's just that the interesting mystery of how to solve this bug or how to add this feature, how to improve the internals is much more satisfying to me than like 
adding widgets. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I don't like front end development, so that's why I really like. Who doesn't? So, I mean, my my final question is: the world aside, obviously, like you know, COVID, everything else, <laughs> bad. Are you happy? In your work? <laughs> that's like, oh, in my work. I was like, that's a really deep question. Well, right now we're doing a Ruby two seven upgrade, and that does not make me happy. <laughs> <laughs> I think I think that's a good place to leave it. <laughs> like. If anyone out there has done a Ruby 2.7 upgrade, they know what I'm talking about. It's like the warnings, and I get it, like we just need to fix them, but it's a lot of warnings. Just like for anyone out there who's like, oh, I got my 800 warnings or a lot, GitHub had 11,000. <laughs> but I guess think how happy you'll be when it's done. Yeah, no, I mean, it's good. We, we actually, this was, gave us a chance to be like super creative with it. So we, we're like actually grabbing all the warnings and creating these files that are for each team to fix their warnings. So we're parsing the files and finding the owners. And then like we open issues for them that tell them exactly which files to run and how to run them to get the warning so they can fix them, which is like kind of, it's like kind of cool. You made I a tool could, to make it go away. It helps us like share the responsibility. Cause like, otherwise it'd just be like, I don't know who owns this and how to find them and assign this. So yeah, it's been really interesting. And I can't take credit at all for that tool. <laughs> Katrina Owen wrote most of the parsing. It was like it was like a group effort. I complained to a coworker, like, <laughs> I don't know what to do. There's so many warnings. And he was like, let's just write a script. And I was like, I don't want to. I just wanted to go away. He helped me write a script. And then Katrina changed the script. And then we worked with the, the CI team to like actually output files. And like, that's like the cool part of it, the working together with other teams to like get the warnings assigned so yeah i'm i'm happy with rail stuff and like we have a, some cool stuff that i want to start working on rails wise that hopefully two seven will be done soon uh, and then we can like spread the good word about two seven because i know there's a lot of companies who are like hell no i'm not working on that <laughs> like those warnings like there's too many but it is faster hmm. uh and there cool. are there are people who are on it. So you all should upgrade, especially if you own a gem, like upgrade your gems, please. <laughs> <laughs> or mer merge our pull requests that we're sending. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. Yeah. All right, cool. Well, thank you very much for being virtually in the same room as me. It's yep. been great. Thank you for your talk. Um, yeah, thanks and for I'll speak me. to you soon. Yep. Bye. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks a lot for listening. See you next time.